You're right in D.C. with Gail Trotter. This is Gail Trotter, host of Right in D.C. Today, our guest is Debbie Hines. Debbie Hines is based in Washington, D.C. She's a practicing trial attorney and former Baltimore prosecutor. She has a boutique law firm, practice focused on civil and criminal law. She started her career in Baltimore as a prosecutor where she tried homicides, attempted murders, rapes, burglaries, robberies, narcotics, and economic crimes before juries and participated in grand jury investigations. Debbie, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, Gail, thank you for having me. I noticed you also graduated from George Washington School of Law in D.C., which is also where my father graduated from law school. So you all are have the same alma mater. Wonderful. I am very excited to speak with Debbie today. We first met when we were both on a law panel on Laura Ingram's show, The Ingram Angle on Fox News. And I was very charmed by Debbie. And while we may not agree on many things, she has a very astute way of looking at things and a sharp mind. And I thought she, being based in D.C., would be a perfect guest for Right in D.C. So thank you so much, Debbie, for joining us. Great to be here, Gail. You wrote a piece on your blog, Legal Speaks, entitled Ralph Northam's Photo Makes My Blood Boil. Uh, I was I, I couldn't think of a better title for a piece. And digging into your piece, you talk about the recent news of the Virginia governor's uh, handling of the revelation that when he was 25 years old, his medical school yearbook on his page had a photo, a very offensive photo. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, the news about this photo and the revelations about it that we heard last week? So I think it's really important to put the photo in context for everyone. I mean, what the photo shows is allegedly Ralph Northam in blackface uh, standing next to someone else who is represented as being a KKK member. And it's on what is definitely his um, his yearbook page from medical school. So when I look at anything like that, it does make my blood boil. He's 25 years old. It's even though it's 30 years ago, you have to put in historical context what blackface means for African-Americans and um, and what Ralph Northam was old enough to know what it meant too, is the fact that back in the, um, well, starting in the 1800s and on the way, all the way into the 1900s, there were white performers, white actors, white musicians that would, you know, paint their faces black. And you say, well, what's wrong with that? Well, it wasn't just the painting of the face black, which was depicting a black person, but it was the way that it was handled. It was basically the shows were to ridicule, dehumanize, degrade, show African-Americans as less than human, um, as childlike, as inferior to whites. And so when African-Americans see blackface on a white person such as Northam, it does make our blood boil. 
And so in, for him, in those shows, were African Americans ever portrayed positively, or was it uh, always the case that that the actors who were in blackface were ridiculing and making fun of black people? Well, to bring us up in context, um, no, they were always ridiculed. And as far as the um, media going past blackface, but just dealing with how African-Americans have been portrayed in the media, on theater, on arts, which is what we're talking about. I hate to say this, but it really wasn't until almost the Cosby show, Bill Cosby show, that in any way um, African-Americans were portrayed in a positive um, point of view, even going past having blackface. So there were shows, which I think uh, we're maybe in the 1940s, 1950s. Um, oh God, it just skipped my mind. But um, Amos and Andy shows, yes. even though those actors were African-American, they were black, they were not in blackface. It just showed them acting like buffoons. And that is how white audiences loved and choked it up and just laughed and just loved it. And so really, it was until very recently, uh, even though there's been a lot of negative stuff about Bill Cosby, we can go back to Diane Carroll's show, which was named Julia. But those were the shows that started to show African-Americans in a positive light, not being inferior, but being equal. So there's never any acceptance of blackface. The only thing that's ironic is there were times that there were also um, black actors that were also put in blackface and they did it just because that's the only way that they could get a job. But it was still for the same purpose, to mock, to make fun of, to belittle, dehumanize, degrade, any negative adjective you want to think of, that is what blackface is. And you're only addressing one of the characters in that photo. Uh, the, there was, as you said, there was one character in blackface, and there was another character in, I would say, an even more offensive uh, getup, the the KKK robe and hood. And uh, when I looked at the picture, they're standing next to each other. I think they both have drinks in their hands, and they look like they're having you know, a a joke or that it's funny to them. Exactly, because that's what blackface basically does. It makes fun, it mocks um, blacks. And, you know, like I said in my blog, the only thing that could have been worse is if the KKK person had a noose in his hand and was holding a cross. That's the only thing that could have made it any worse than what it was. Well, and to think about that too, to even dress up like this. I don't know if you followed the Megyn Kelly controversy at all. Oh, yes, I did. And I don't want to misquote her, but my recollection of what she said when she was talking about blackface was that it was common or acceptable when she was a kid that people would dress up with blackface. I think she said specifically about Halloween, but I might not remember. I don't remember her exact quote. Um, And she, of course, ended up losing her job just for saying that it, she wasn't saying that she had ever dressed up in blackface, I don't think. Um, and and to take this situation where you have someone who did this in 1984, we're not talking about 1884, it's 1984. And not only do they do this, they think it's so significant that they put it into their medical school yearbook page. What does that communicate to you? 
I mean, it communicates that obviously they knew about it. And the backdrop, again, in, in terms of putting everything in context, what I've read is that how the yearbook pages were um, brought about is that each um, each student had their page, you know, that they wanted that they would give to the editor of the yearbook. And it was actually in a sealed envelope until individuals uh, that were producing the yearbook actually was ready to uh, work to edit to get their materials into the yearbook. So it, it's it, it's just inc it's just incredible how that whole thing came about. But in terms right. of um, in terms of Megan Kelly, I mean Megan Kelly is just controversial and obviously I would hope to think I would hope to think that as a journalist she would have known what blackface was despite what she basically said. I am going to give her a little more credit than what she gave herself because it was never ever acceptable and I would hope that she would actually have intellectually known that and just basically spoke um you know, spoke otherwise. But but here's a twist on what she did say, Gail. Yes. Um, to maybe help your audiences. So black people, when we have costumes and we dress up for Halloween, we never paint our faces white. Okay. <laughs> I mean, most characters that we are dressing up as for Halloween when they're in the movies and whatever, a lot of them are white characters, but you don't see us taking out, you know, my mom was a nurse. She had to have her shoes always nice and crisp and white. Right. You don't see me trying to look for white shoe polish so I can paint my face white <laughs> so I can be a white character. I Even mean, Dracula? Yeah, I should tell you something. Dracula? <laughs> okay, maybe Dracula. <laughs> I'll go with that one. <laughs> but do you see what I mean? Even with yes. Dracula, it is basically still to be humorous and to be mocking. Right. It's not, it is not a character that you're portraying, even if you were doing that for Dracula, it's not a character that you're portraying in a positive point of view. I don't think anybody's portraying Dracula as a positive no. role model person. Definitely not. For sure not. I, I think that is interesting. You talk about, I mean, it was a failure on multiple levels to even dress like that in the first place, then to take a picture of it, whoever took that picture, then to decide to put it on your book page. And presumably there's some sort of editing, like you're saying. And then the school, you know, has it, from my understanding, the school keeps that in its library. So people must have known that that existed. And in your piece, you talk about, um, the, the way that Governor Northam responded to the revelation about this picture, first he kind of admitted it and apologized, and it was a statement that he had that press conference. And I'm talking to you as a lawyer counseling a client. Do you think he was good, given good advice in, I mean, that statement, the written statement seemed like somebody had written it. And then when he came and gave the press conference, it seemed like he was a different person. Uh, talking. So do you think his advisors and lawyers and PR management team, did they do a good job of prepping him for how to deal with this crisis in his governorship? Well, obviously, he did not uh, in any way know anything about what happened to Megyn Kelly, first of all. <laughs> I mean, I don't know why, but he obviously didn't know about her problem. Absolutely um, right. When he first came out and, you know, stated that it was racially offensive or whatever exactly his words were to right. that effect. And, you know, he was pretty much apologizing for it. 
And then I think what happened um, politically, if we're not talking so much about lawyers, but his political advisors then probably advised him, oh, my God, this thing is going downhill rather quickly. <laughs> so then he decides, oh, I got to redeem myself. I'll just tell him I'm in oh, the buzzword. I'm just investigating and I'm going to try to find out. Is that really me in the picture? Now, right. The real killer. <laughs> yeah. Who, who really is the real <laughs> Who really is this person? I'm not really sure. And that is just so incredibly stupid. I mean, when we, when anybody, you know, looks back at photographs and I've been recently, you know, looking back at family photographs and we yeah. look back at family photographs and, you know, friends over and family over for the holidays. Nobody looks at the family photographs. And I'm talking about ones where I came upon one where I'm dressed up in a Halloween costume and I have a mask on. I know it's me. I remember that that was my costume that I was in when I was seven or eight or nine years old. I don't say, oh, I'm going to have to investigate. And this was when he was 25. So kidding. I mean, like, I think we all kind of know ourselves because it just brings back the memory is what it brings back when you're looking at old photographs. It brings back the memory of, even when you're looking at old photographs from yes. just from college, and this was from medical school, we look and we're like, oh, I know I look at those. And I say, oh my God, was I ever that small? But I know that's me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you make the point in your piece too, that uh, he, he has been so cloudy and murky in his response on this. And you, you talk in your piece about how, you know, Things that happened 30 years ago, you can ask forgiveness for, but you point to the possibility that there might be other photos coming up. And and that came out in the press conference that he had dressed up with blackface to imitate Michael Jackson. So definitely he's at least signaling that this could have been more than one a one-time occurrence. Maybe it's a pattern in practice. Who knows? Right. And, and, you know, and that's just, it's just really ridiculous. And I think that, you know, the Michael Jackson part is the prime example of why he didn't need to use blackface. I mean, Michael Jackson is modern day, so you could get the glove, you can get the, you know, the socks, the little socks that he wore, the little black tight pants, the hat. I mean, everybody's going to know you're Michael Jackson. Right. I mean, all you just need to do is do some moonwalk walks. Um, but no, he chose to do that, I think, for a specific purpose and a specific reason. And, you know, Virginia uh, was the first colony. It is just sad that 400 years after Africans were brought enslaved in this country that we are still dealing with, albeit on a higher and a different level, we're still dealing with the fact that there are white Americans that do not think that African Americans are equal and that you in some way have to always belittle us, even in medical school. Well, and this is Black History Month. This is the start of Black History Month for African Americans, right? Well, it's Black History Month for everyone. It's not just for African Americans. At Black History oh, Month. Oh no, no, no! Anyone. I mean, but I mean, this right. was the message that went out. Yes, yes. This is the message that you know got it basically kicked off. Um, so I don't really see how Northam, you know, uh, comes back from this. But going back to your point about it was 1984. I mean, there's always forgiveness for people, but you have to go about it. I mean, what he should have done was long before 
you know, he ran for governor, uh, he should have just have gotten that out. I mean, people that are in a public life, you just know that some of those things that you did and a yearbook is kind of sort of public. I mean, there's however many people were in your medical school class had a copy of the yearbook. So it could have really have come out long before now. It could have derailed him, um, you know, early on in his career. You just need to come out and address it. And that's what we teach children. That's exactly what my mom taught me. Look, if it's anything I need, I didn't always follow it, but if it's right. anything I need to know, please just let me know. I do not want to have to find out later that you right. actually did do this. Absolutely. Good advice from mom. I think uh, all parents <laughs> should convey that advice and he should, I'm sure his mother did too, but um, yeah. it's kind of interesting because Richmond was the capital of the Confederacy. It has a long history of uh, racial injustice. And I think the city has tried very hard to overcome that. And in a, in a lot of ways, there has been good progress and good momentum. But do you think that this revelation and his lack of willingness to resign communicates that there's something stubborn about this problem that perhaps people don't recognize in this day and age? Well, I think everybody in Virginia that if there's any statue recognizes the problem because he doesn't have any support. Um, all of the politicians on both sides of the aisle are basically not supporting him. I think the only politician that has uh, supported him is former Congressman Jim Webb. Um, everybody else, all the way up to Doug Wilder, who was the first African-American governor of Virginia, have basically said that he should step down. That includes people in his own administration that are black administrators. They've not called for him, per se, necessarily to step down, but they will not speak out in his favor. What I think uh -huh. it basically goes to, yeah, so he doesn't have any support. He has the black support from his pastor, um, but I have not seen him have any uh, political support whatsoever, mm -hmm. like I said, except for as far as I'm aware, former Congressman Jim Webb. And what I think it basically says is like, we all are a product of our past. There's nothing we can do about that. I'm originally from Baltimore, and there are just a lot of things about me that are about Baltimore. I mean, some words I pronounce, people say, oh, you didn't pronounce that right. I'm like, yeah, that's because I pronounce it the way they pronounce it in Baltimore. Baltimore. <laughs> yeah, and I pronounce it the way they pronounce it there. I am so sorry. But um, so we're all a part of our past. If you, I mean, I've been to Richmond, uh, both to court as well as for, you know, other things. And if you've ever been to Richmond, uh, the city of Richmond is still honoring the Confederacy in terms of museums and, and in terms of just a lot of things. It has such a Confederate flavor, at least the time that I was there was what stood out at me. So I say all of that to say that's what, you know, as however progressive Northam is or the views that he had, that's still a part evidently of his past that he did not give up. Right. Right. And he seems to not want to take responsibility for it. And in Virginia, it's a one term governorship. Yes. So it's very difficult to force him to resign. Uh, do you think that he will end up succumbing to the pressure or is he going to ride it out? I think he's going to ultimately have to succumb to the pressure because the bottom line is he doesn't, he lacks confidence. We've heard like in company, I mean, they can't impeach him. He hasn't right. committed any crime or anything um, or done anything allegedly illegal, but um, it's very difficult when 
your administrators, um, your staff, you don't have the confidence of the politicians that are serving, it's going to be very difficult for him. He's going to be worse than a lame duck you know, governor. He's not going to be able to get anything accomplished because he's lost the respect and the confidence of people that he would have to work with. So I think that once he totally comes to realize that, obviously he doesn't want to be, which he would be, the first governor in the Commonwealth of Virginia that would have stepped down since Civil War. And do he you think that this he doesn't want to have that legacy, but right. I don't think he's gonna I don't think he's gonna get past that legacy. Right. And I think Governor Wilder, who is revered in the Commonwealth of Virginia, has has de- decided that he's not lending his support um, as well. Uh, do you think that this harms the Democratic Party in Virginia? And does it give rhetorical support to Republicans who I, I was reading another piece that you had written about how essentially the Democratic Party takes African-American women who support the Democratic Party a little bit for granted. Do you? And I think Republicans have been trying to get that message across for years and years and years. Do you think that creates an opening for the Republican Party on that message or on that approach in Virginia because of this outrageous and offensive photo and Northam's refusal to take responsibility for it? No, because I don't think this goes past Northam. I think this is personal. I don't think it goes to the party. What he did, I think, is viewed more as uh, more as personal. Virginia has been turning blue, if you know, from uh, Northern Virginia as well as the southern areas of Chesapeake, Virginia. So I don't think that this, in any way, what he did, I don't think it in any way carries over to the party because it is the entire party, the entire Democratic leadership, politicians, former politicians that have overwhelmingly said, "You need to step down." So there's right. no reflection on the on the Democratic Party on this because everybody is telling him on both sides of the aisle, you need to step down. Well, isn't it interesting that Republicans have been faulted a lot for not doing their opposition research and unearthing this photo? Do you think something could be said, too, about the Democratic Party that they didn't vet their candidate well enough? I don't think so, because you can't go back in every little piece and every person's life. I mean, it was interesting that it was a Republican um, whatever um, website website that did unearth it. Obviously, I don't think it was out of kindness and it had some ulterior motives there. But I don't think that you can turn over every stone ever in any politician's lives. I mean, you just you just can't. you can't reconstruct. I don't know how old Northam is. It doesn't matter. Even if he was like 40, you can't reconstruct an entire person's life and everything that they could have or done. That is why I say it was on Northam to get out from to get out from it. And, and right. he could have used it very early on as a teaching moment, just as much as on another instance where people have had attitudes about the LGBTQ community and their writings that they've had, but they come out from out from it and they admit this is where I was then. You know, this is how I've evolved. It He really could have used it to embrace 
more African-Americans just by showing, you know, if this is something that I could have done, there's a lot of other people out there that have done far worse, but I'm willing to admit it. I'm willing to say, I'm sorry. I'm willing to do everything I can to make amends going forward. But he needed to have done that so much earlier <laughs> than now. <laughs> Well, you bring up in your piece about the photo of Senator Al Franken, which I have to tell you was horrifying to me. The picture on the plane when he was coming back from an overseas appearance to the troops with a woman performer. And the photo shows that he's essentially groping her chest and she's sound asleep. You reference that photo in your piece, I'm curious how you find the two in terms of comparability. I didn't think that Al, I didn't think that he should have resigned. Uh, I don't, it's not that I didn't, you have, like I said, my whole thing as a lawyer is putting everything in context. So it's not just a matter of just looking at the photo of Al Franken and looking at the photo of Northam and making a decision about it. It is a matter when I look at uh, Senator, former Senator Franken's photo, I think I put into context like, you know, you were a comedian on Saturday Night Live, okay? I mean, that's who you were. And there are some things where, again, like I said, always looking at a person's background, that's how I view things. You are who you were in your background. And maybe for that moment, as I saw it, yeah, you probably went over the edge just as much as there are comedians who make jokes that, oh, I did not find that funny as a woman or as an African-American, but it's just who you are. So I, the, the picture of him, I mean, I just think that it was more based on, it was probably something that he thought was funny at the time, and it really wasn't funny being a woman at all. I did not think it rose to the level that he should have had the pressure put on him by Senator Gillibrand to resign. I really didn't. I see them as totally, totally, totally different because I just put everything, like I said, in the context of what it is and the person. That's why I brought up Northam's background. That's why I bring up... Um, Al's background. I, I don't see them as being the same in any way. I think well, I'll I should apologize for it, but I don't see it, I don't see it rising to the level of that he should have resigned because I basically can see it both ways. I can see it his way. I don't see any way I can see Ralph Northrum's his way. I really don't. But I do see Al Franken's that okay, it was done in very poor taste. It was you know, really bad, but you know, I was just it was just a joke. Well, do you think that would have been a prosecutable offense if I think that was probably overseas? So we're talking about jurisdictional issues. So let's take them out of the airplane and they're in Baltimore and he does that to her while she's asleep and somebody takes a photo of that. Is that something that could be prosecuted? I mean, you have no prosecutor would prosecute that. No state prosecutor would prosecute that for the reasons that I'm saying in terms of balancing what's there and, you know, if you're viewing it as the other side, you know, basically asserting, okay, I did it maybe, but I did it as a joke, as uh, an assault, as an unwanted touching. So it would technically would be an unwanted touching, right? but it would not rise to the level of anything you could prove beyond a reasonable doubt once the person says, I, you know, it would be very difficult to get a conviction, I guess is what I'm saying. Because you think there would be an intent uh, element that couldn't be met in that circumstance if he said, 
oh, it was a joke or, so, or something no, to that no effect. Intent. There's no intent in assault. It's an unwanted touching. But I'm saying that when a jury is looking at what the other party would necessarily say that I thought it was a joke. I mean, you know, I think that a jury reads all into that. It's like, no, we're not going to convict somebody of something that they thought was a joke, however highly distasteful it was, and convict them of a crime. And that is how prosecutors look at it on the end, on the beginning side. Are we going to be able to get the end result? And I don't right. think he's been able to get the end result without Franken, and I don't think he should have resigned. Wow, that's fascinating because I can tell you as a parent and a woman that, you know, that just seems like such offensive conduct, particularly given that the woman was asleep. It would be one thing if her eyes were awake and and Franken could say, oh, she was in on the joke or whatever. But I mean, wow, it's no wonder we have the Me Too moment, the, the issues that we have between some of these men and women in these situations. I mean, it's it's just kind of shocking. But we'll hold that for another conversation. I just want to thank you so much thank for you. coming on and talking with us today. If people want to learn more about you or read your blog, where can they find you online? So my blog is legalspeaks.com and my Twitter is I am Debbie Hines and my Instagram is also I am Debbie Hines. Debbie, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Gail, for having me. Much this appreciated. Is, this is Gail Trotter. You can follow me on Twitter. You can follow me on Instagram. You can like me on Facebook. You can subscribe to my YouTube channel. You can support this podcast on Patreon. This is Right in D.C. You're Right in D.C. with Gail Trotter.